0: Welcome to Valley Christian Church. We hope you enjoy this message and we would love for you to join us on Sunday mornings at 1030. We're located at 432 East Pleasant in Tulare. After listening to this message, take a moment to browse our website for current and upcoming events. It is our prayer that ultimately you learn to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is a prayer, uh, a beautiful prayer of Jesus uh, that he prayed to the Lord, which is kind of weird. We talked about last week here, here, Jesus is Lord. He is part of I am and he's praying to the I am. And it's kind of an interesting concept for us to, to garner, to gather and, and, and it's such a beautiful prayer. I, we're probably going to be here for a couple of weeks, uh, at least as I started looking at this, because he starts to repeat, repeat words over and over again and there's just so much to understand in this particular prayer and, and the, the great thing about the ministry of the Holy Spirit is this as a corporate group as a church he can teach us certain things about our body as a church but he can also teach at the same time individual things to you if you open up your mind and your heart and say Lord teach me out of this and it's a great thing about the Holy Spirit to be able to apply that to our lives So depending on what's going on in your life, this prayer may mean different things for you taking the very words of Christ and, and teaching us, not only as a group, but also as individuals. And I got stuck on the whole concept of glory again this week. We, we talked about glory last week, and the, repeat, uh, the word is repeated over and over. And I love that I didn't talk to Justin about the songs, but we had so many songs this morning that talked about the glory of God. And, and it's funny how the Lord dovetails those things in. So why don't we start reading in John 17.1. I'm going to read through the, the whole chapter of John. I normally don't do this. Uh, I did it last week. I'm going to read it again. Uh, hopefully I don't stumble along too much. So here we go, John 17, 1. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this uh, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one the, o- the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed uh, revealed you to those whom you gave, out, gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. But they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name, of, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name that you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so the Scripture may be fulfilled. I am... I am coming to you now, but I say to those, uh, but I say these things, why I am still in the world, so that they may have a full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message, that all of them them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and I, or you and me, may they be brought to complete unity, to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not does not know you, I know you. And they know that you have sent me. I've made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you gave me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. But Jesus starts out and says, he he lifts his eyes to heaven and says, Father, the time has come. Now this is very different from what you've heard from Christ before. He hasn't even talked to the Father like this before, you know, it's kind of a a contrast if you go back and and read what he said earlier. In fact, earlier in the book of John you'll see that that John says that, that his hour has not yet come. Even Jesus has said, my hour has not yet come. Do you remember the very first miracle that Jesus did? What did he do? Turn water into wine, right? And he's at the wedding, and, and you know, he's with all his friends, and they're attending this wedding, and, the, and as the celebration continued, what happened? They ran out of wine. Well, this is a major, major faux pas. This is, you know, everyone's view of them would be different because in that culture, if you ran out of wine, man, that, that was the source of, of uh, you know, it's like us going to the fridge and getting water, it's like us going to the fridge and getting out a Diet Coke. If you ran out of that, there were major issues. You don't... I, okay, maybe it's just me and the Diet Coke. I don't know. But this is like... It would be a big scandal. It is insulting to not provide for your guest. So Jesus is there and mom comes to him. And mom being, you know, who she is, taking care of everyone, running around, you know, she's making sure and she finally realizes something's wrong and, and let me fix this. So she goes to Jesus and says... Fix this. And Jesus replies, woman. Now, we take that in a very negative term, but it was a very enduring term back then. Think of a, a term that, that some of you might have for, for your grandmother or grandfather. You know, very enduring. I, I, there was, uh, we had a, f- a family that uh, their grandmother and grandfather lived with them and, and all that. And, and what, how they treated their, their, their in-laws and, and how they treated the parents and the, you know, the, the three or four generations that were in the family it was just unbelievable. And they had these enduring terms for them. It's the same kind of term here. Woman, my hour has not yet come. And then what does he do? He goes ahead and does the miracle. It was just kind of funny. But Jesus tells the woman, uh, tells his mom, I'm the one that's in charge. There's a timing to everything that I do, everything in my life has a particular time. It's not for you to decide. My hour has not yet come. Now, a little bit later in John 7 and 9, Jesus is now in Jerusalem, and he's saying and doing some very radical things, especially for the Jews. The Jews are, many Jews are coming along, and he's one of the rabbis that are out there teaching, and, you know, people are kind of sitting around, listen, well, actually, he would sit, and they would stand. I think we need to do that sometime, because, you know, I'll just sit down, and you all stand. Just joking. But he would do this, and, and there would be a lot of people around, and he's talking about some radical ideas about God that they, they really haven't grasped before. It's been there in the Scripture, but Jesus is, is revealing and explaining it to them. And this woman is, is brought, you know, caught in adultery, and, or actually prostitution. The man was caught in adultery, and, and, you know, that was going on, and he dealt with that and some other things. And, and Jesus is speaking to the people. In the middle of all this, he starts to talk about who he is. And he's co- claiming some things that they, they really, many of them, did not want to hear. And once they actually figured out what he was saying, they wanted to kill him. Because what was he saying? He was saying, I am. And we keep hearing that term, I am. That's the name of God. He would say that name. One, they didn't say that name. That was an, Anytime you, in the Old Testament you come to the scriptures where that name would go in, they actually had these little like symbols that meant I am because they wouldn't even write the name I am. And here... A rabbi is saying, I am the I am. So just some radical stuff for them. And it was very dangerous for him to talk like this. So dangerous that they wanted to kill him. So dangerous that that Nicodemus, and we've talked about Nicodemus, comes to him at night. One of of the, the rulers of the Sanhedrin wanted to talk to him and wanted to find out really what he was trying to say. And he doesn't come to him in broad daylight. He actually sneaks around and comes to him at night. So this tension is based on what he's saying. And he's saying, I am. He's claiming to be the ever-existing God. He's claiming to be the God of Isaiah that they would have studied and talked about and said, Messiah is coming. And he's claiming to be that Messiah. When he says, I am the Lord, I am Yahweh, that is my name. And I want to share in that glory that we don't give to anybody else. And he starts to use that, 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 I think it's a pronoun, correct me if I'm wrong, the pronoun we. Am I right? Okay, good. Whew. So he comes along and says, this is me also. And the scriptures say that the, the people around that around there started picking up stones because they were ready to stone him to death because no one claimed to be God. And John writes down, they couldn't do it. They couldn't touch him. And we really don't know what he means, you know. Were they not able to throw the rocks? Did they pick it up and they were like, "I can't throw the rock," you know? We're not really sure. Did he disappear into the crowd? Did he just kind of turn around and melt into the crowd? Were they, they were bending down picking up the rocks, or did he pull a whole Star Trek thing and kind of fizzle out, you know, zzz, 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 and he just kind of disappears? We, we don't know what he did, but it blew John away enough that 60 years later he wrote it down. Everyone was about to kill him at that first Passover at his public ministry starts. And John is saying, I was there and they couldn't touch him. And John doesn't tell us how they couldn't touch him, but he does tell us why. He writes, because his hour had not yet come. That is it. It goes back to the whole timing thing again. And then we, in the last couple of months, we've been talking about the dinner, the Last Supper that he starts in in John chapter 13. And, you know, it's almost like us, you know, we've been talking about it so, so long. It's like a long meal. It's like we're gaining weight from this dinner by talking about it so much. We keep feeding on it. And in John 13, Jesus starts to talk and say to his disciples. And John was right there. I mean, right in that room. And as an old man, he starts to write this down. And he writes, it was just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come. There was that line in the sand that finally Jesus was about to cross. There's a divine timing in his life. And we are, when we're connected to the Father like this, we start to understand that there's also timings to our own life. Especially if we start paying attention and connecting with the Holy Spirit, and, and really ask the Spirit to work in our lives, we start to understand that there's certain times where, where we hold back and say, "You know, I, I just the Holy Spirit hasn't released me to do this yet. God hasn't released me. I, I'm waiting. My time is to, you know, to to, to wait on this." And then other times it's like we feel like, like something's behind us just pushing us through. And it's like, well, I, I guess I should go because God's just kind of moving me here. And there's different times in our life that, that we feel that direction. Jesus knew his time had come. And now, now start to think about all the things that that meant. He knew his time was near. Some of your Bibles use the word Time. You know, he's having dinner with the guys and, you know, it's pretty late. In the Middle East, they, they would eat kind of late. In fact, when I went on a mission trip to, to to Greece, it was a beautiful country and, you know, it gets the same temperature, like, you know, out here, 113, 117, but then add humidity onto that. I and mean, we're talking about, I mean, it was bad. When it got it to 113 degrees with humidity, oh, it was terrible. So what, what do they do? They just shut everything down in the afternoons. They go home. They siesta, if you want to call it that. They take a nap. They sh- all the stores are closed. Then they come back out, you know, kind of later in the evening, and it starts all back. They don't eat dinner till 10 o'clock. The same kind of Middle Eastern, you know, Middle Eastern uh, culture here. So Jesus is having dinner, and by the next morning, Jesus will be hanging on the cross. And all the stuff, this is what he knew. All the stuff that is going to happen to him during the night, there would be no sleep there would be these, these times and, and all kinds of stressful things going on, especially that, that stressful prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. And loneliness and agony and the physical pain that he would go through. And all of that would culminate in a crucifixion from the Romans. And he will hang on the cross for six hours and then he'll die. That is his time or hour Jesus knew what was coming. And in John 13, 1, what does it say? What does, it, does it say when Jesus knew the hour had come that he panicked? When Jesus knew the hour had come that he, he started delegating, okay, guys, you need to do this and you need to do that? Now, when Jesus knew that the time had come, look at what he does. Look at his actions. It'll totally blow you away, and that's where we're going to jump. John 13, 1, it says... It was just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he showed he now showed them the full extent of his love. Jesus knew that the, uh, in verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power all things under his power and look what he does here and that he had come from god and was returning to god so he got up from the mill took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples feet drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him this is what jesus does when he's on a deadline it blows me away this is how different jesus is from me this is how different jesus is from you When we get to a deadline, what do we do? Well, we stress out. We get frustrated. It's the leave me alone time. I call it my task mode. When I'm in task mode, I'm not smiling. I'm thinking about the task. One person keeps reminding me around here. Smile when they see me walking through. I'm in task mode. Leave me alone. We're like... You've got to load up into the car quickly. I mean, if you've got kids, you're like, okay, okay, kids, just be quiet, get in the car. For parents, you understand that. You've said that before, haven't you? This is not a good time to act. just get in the car. See, I'm already practicing. <laughs> and if I'm stressed, then everybody else should be stressed out. You know the old saying, if mama's not happy, nobody's happy, right? You know, we have this sick thing that we do. Even take this out of the family. Go to work. If the boss is stressed, heaven forbid the boss be stressed. But if the boss is stressed, then you better look stressed, whether you are or not, right? (laughs) Have you ever seen the T-shirt that says, Jesus is coming, everybody look busy? Because we place busyness next to godliness. Here's what Jesus does. On the night before the most stressful weekend that you or I would ever face he wasted an hour washing guys feet we look at this and we think procrastination have you ever done that you know honey why are you cleaning out the closet because there's that other thing I want to do and I don't really want to do it It's something I need to do so I'm doing this instead see this is God in action and you know why he's in charge of what's going on he knew his timing He was just relaxed. Yes, we'll we'll get to the point in the garden where literally he's stressing so much that blood is coming out of his pores. He will be stressed. But it's amazing to me that he does this. It's not the same way that we get stressed. But it's great knowing that I serve a God that can relax like this. That I serve a God who is in control. He is absolutely, totally in control. Therefore, on the night before his crucifixion, what is he doing? He's teaching them. He's serving them. He's talking to them. He's loving them. And he tells them, guys, you need to love each other. You need to stop arguing. And I really believe that this is one of the biggest problems that we have in society and church today. We just can't stop arguing. It's the syndrome of, I am right and they are wrong... And let me gossip about it and tell you why I think this. Can you believe what they did? Well, I can't. And we just don't say it once. Now, I agree. You're frustrated? You need to have people you can go to. You really do. Because, I mean, there's times where where I'm frustrated, and if I went to that person right exactly right then, I'd probably bite their head off, and I'd be totally sinning while I did it. So we need to have people that we, we go to and talk things out where they can go, you know what, Alan, you're, you're wrong on this one. Or, you know what, you're right, why don't you go talk to them? But the key is we need to go to them. The problem is we say things over and over and we get to the point where it's because, uh, what it's called is sin. And if you don't believe me, read the Word of God. That's what we're talking about here. Ask the Holy Spirit. If you think you're right, take it to the Lord. Ask Him what to do. You know what He'll tell you? He'll tell you a couple things. First, he'll say stop gossiping about it. Secondly, he'll say go to the person you have an issue with. Thirdly, he'll say if that doesn't work and you think you're biblically correct, not that you just don't like it, then get a group of mature, and the key word there is mature, brothers and sisters, family. Justin kept saying we're family up here. Guess what? Sometimes family has a blast together. I can remember times when my family had fun together. Well, I can also tell you, sometimes when my family didn't have so much fun together, we're family. We understand that we're not all going to get along. We, you know, we ought to be mature enough to understand that. But we ought to be mature enough to go, okay, if I need to talk somebody, let's go, let's talk. But what happens? Usually, we don't look at stuff biblically. It's more about my opinion, and I've, I'm guilty of this just as much as we all are guilty of this. It's about my opinion and the friends that I can find to agree with me. And if they agree, then of course, then I'm correct, right? If I can find enough people to agree with me, then I'm correct. And we never take it to the Lord. You know, I'll be honest with you. Three years ago, there was a decision made. And I walked away kind of shaking my head and scratching my head going, I I don't get this one. I looked at it from one view, and I, I, I tried to look at it from several views, and I just said... I don't... Okay. I had a conversation with this person about that. Just yesterday. Now, think about this. For three years, everything I've thought when it came to, to this person was perceived off of this misconception. Because my view was this. And when they explained what they were thinking, I went, oh. Now that makes much more sense. So for three years... My relationships, my perception of this person—everything was built upon that. How wrong is that? That's because we don't go to each other, and we don't say, "This is what I'm thinking. This is why I think this way. This is why I made this decision." And we don't talk these things out. How much better would be we? How much better would we be if we talk things out as Christians? And I'm talking about Christians in the kingdom, not just our church. I think this is the biggest things in society. How about your boss? Oh, they're like, isn't the boss always wrong? Where you work? Okay, let's not talk about all bosses, but where you work. Aren't they always wrong? Sometimes we kind of feel that way instead of going and talking it out. When we take things to God, he'll, he'll provide usually two things. One is he'll provide an opportunity to talk to that person. Or two, he'll say, you know what, Alan? You need to knock it off and stop arguing about this just as he did with his disciples the night before his crucifixion. Well, back to John 17. Because Jesus is saying, my time has come, and at the same time he's telling them and calming them down. And he starts out this prayer and he says, Father, the time has come. Glorify me to them. And we studied this word glorify last week is glorify your son that the, your son may glorify you. And remember we talked about the word, you know, doxazo, which is, you know, we translate today to doxology. It's a it's a glorification. It's saying glory to God. And it means something to to give honor, you know, where honor is due. This is a positive part of glorifying a person to thank them, to be positive about them. And it can be very healthy to do. And it's not about the ego. It's, it's not about flattery. It's about glorifying. It's a giving honor. It also means to magnify. And when you magnify, you're able to see something better. It doesn't make it bigger. I mean, physically, that item is still the same size, but it allows you to understand it because you can see more of it. It just makes it easier to see it. And he says, Father, I've made it so the naked eye can see you. Jesus is saying here uh, that, that I desire here that, and this is a great way to pray, Jesus says, you know, he says, tell me your desire, because he tells God, I desire them for, for them to be able to see you. He's given us a great example to tell God what we desire out loud, and then it gives him a chance to say, hey, that's a great desire you have. Then it gives him a chance to say, no, that's not a very good, des- you know, desire, and he's a good father. He won't give us everything we pray for. Man, if, if he gave me everything to pray for, I wow, you know what I mean? I'd be out there hurting myself because there's things that I pray for and I don't realize at the time, that's probably not a good thing for me. And God's sitting there going, you know, just like with the two-year-old or four-year-old, you don't give them everything that they desire. Why it would hurt them. The same thing with God. He doesn't give us those things that's going to hurt us. So he tells us to do what? Pray about everything. Everything. Father, I pray, I desire that you would glorify me to them, Jesus says. He's hung out with them for three and a half years. And some of them really still will not get things until later. They really won't. Until after he raises himself from the dead. They just will not get it. So how do we apply this to our lives right now? Well, I would say first off, ask the Lord to be glorified to you through His Holy Spirit. I think one of the things that we lack the most is asking God to reveal Himself. Because when we start getting a glimpse of God, we start understanding what, you know, what picture, what should we be, be go- going toward? What picture should we have of Him? Then we say, I want to emulate that. I want to, I want to act like that. It gives us a, a goal in a sense glorify you to me through, the, through his Spirit. And it doesn't matter how old you are or how long you've been a Christian because there's always lessons the Lord wants to teach us. Just when I think, okay, I got that, the Lord says, great, now let's move on. Let me give you another lesson I want to teach you. And I'm like, oh, can I just stay right there for a while? And we have to, we need to be willing to allow it to happen in our lives. See, if we're not willing to allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives, we're not willing to allow God and Christ, to, you know, the three-in-one concept, the, you know, they're, they're all the same, yet they're different parts. If we're not allowing that to work in our lives, we're going to be stuck in the same place we've always been. And I think a few of us feel sometimes just stuck. And if we just start praying, Lord, unstick me, I don't want to just mope along here. Pray that he will glorify himself to you. In Hebrews, and the word glory and glorify is such a huge word. In Hebrews 1, he says, or the writer of Hebrews says, "...in the past God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things." And through whom he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. And the exact representation of his being. Sustaining all things by his powerful word. That's amazing. And to bethink that I was created in that image. It's just even more amazing. That is Jesus Christ. The same God became flesh. And we get to magnify God to the world. What an awesome responsibility is that, you know? Do you remember when Mary was pregnant? She went to hang out with her aunt. She kind of got out of town because, you know, very small village of Nazareth and teenager, unwed and pregnant. Not a good combination. Especially when you have a church, albeit a Jewish church, synagogue if you want to call it that. But just, you know, you're kind of like going, I just want to get out for a little while, relax a little bit. She's three months pregnant and she visits Elizabeth in the Judean hills. It's, it's kind of north of, of Jerusalem and it's really hilly and, 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 you know, it's a really just beautiful area. And John the Baptist is in Elizabeth's wound because she's also pregnant. Jesus is in Mary's womb. I mean, this is—I mean—some high-powered stuff going on here with these two ladies, and they begin to worship God in a way that they had never experienced before. And Mary says the most beautiful, poetic thing. She says in Luke one forty-seven, "My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior." Mary has been under a tremendous amount of stress. And she gets out of town and takes Jesus with her, literally. And she gets to her auntie's house and she says, My soul magnifies the Lord. And it's not the word doxazo that we're, we're talking about here. This is actually mega-luna. My soul puts a huge light, huge mega-luna light, Huge light on the Lord. My soul sheds mega light on the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. This teenage girl is just trying to survive God's will working through her. She doesn't know exactly how it's going to work out. She's just trying to survive. Do any of you feel like that today? You're kind of sitting there going, Okay, I feel like I'm in God's will and I'm just trying to survive here well then you're in good company you know God is doing something but you just can't see it and yet you know that God is in control or you need to understand that God is in control that's something I keep reminding myself especially when I'm stressed out or I'm irritated or or I'm upset that I did something wrong or you know whatever it is I, I have to remember ultimately God is in control yes we all need to change. Yes, we need to do things God's ways. Yes, we're, we're a work in progress, each one of us, you and I. But God is ultimately still in control of my life. But I also have a warning for you. When you really commit yourself to Christ and say, Lord, I really want your will for my life. I really want what you want for my life. Almost everything he will do through you will still create some type of stress for you. And that can be so irritating. As soon as you know that, as soon as you get over that, as soon as you get over the, the idea that, well, I thought my life would be stress-free now. I, I've given my will over to God. I want God to work in my life. I, I, you know, I see God. I, I understand Him a little bit more. I want Him to do these things. Well, I thought my life would be better. Life would just be Stress-free. but with Jesus right there. See, the stress has a purpose in our life. See, either Jesus takes away the stress. Sometimes he does. We pray, Lord, this is a situation I can't control. Can you please help me out here? And he just totally takes it out of the way. Or he's right there to help you go through it. Doesn't mean it disappears. He just helps us get through it. Yea, Through a walk through the valley of death. Not around the valley, not over the valley, not run through the valley, walk through the valley of death. It's a process. It's walking. So Mary has a baby, baby Jesus. In Luke 2, 8, it says, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over the flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. See that word glory again? The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes lying in a manger. Verse 13, it says, Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men, on whom his favor rests. I almost asked Justin to sing that song this morning. I thought it would be kind of fun. Skip down to verse 20. It says, The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen. They went and visited. Which was just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when the time when the time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him had given him before he had been conceived. When the time of their purification according to the law of Moses had been complete, completed, Jesus and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. It is written in the law of the, uh, the law of the Lord: every firstborn male should be consecrated to the Lord and to offer sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves and two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. He was just a guy. He's not some bigwig priest. He's not in the Sanhedrin. He's not from the priestly family. I mean, he's just a guy who loved the Lord. Verse 26 it says, It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what his custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God. Now think about this for a second. We kind of breeze over this and go, oh, that's just so neat. The Lord said this and it happened, and, and now the, the, the man and his, you know he can he can pass away. The Lord, I mean he can go be with his Lord now. But this is kind of wacky. You have a teenage mom, and eight day eight days ago she just became a mom. You have Joseph there in Jerusalem, and it's a really busy place, really small streets, really crowded during this time. In the temple, they're not local people. And this guy who they do not know walks up and says, give him to me. And he takes eight-day-year-old Jesus out of Mary's arms. Now, how many moms do we have here? Would you ever allow this to happen? Some strange guy walks up and says, let me have your baby. I don't think so. I would think Joseph would step right in front and say, what? you just need to back away. Mm-mm. Is, there, is there a Roman guard? Is there a police officer around here? Take this guy, a weirdo here. I mean, that would be our reaction. I'm sure that that would almost, in a sense, be their reaction, except for one thing. The Holy Spirit's involved. It gave them peace about this. For some reason they knew it would be okay. And did you get the double meaning here? He praised God. He picks up the baby. He praises God, but he, he praises God. He says, verse 29 Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Later in John 14, John would say, or um, I think 1 John 14. We have seen the glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Wouldn't it be great if we started to understand the glory of God more? Wouldn't it be great if we started to show off God's glory to the world Wouldn't it be great if we started to understand the glory that's in our own lives that comes from God? We can. We can do that. All we need to do is open our eyes and ask the Holy Spirit to start working, to open our eyes, open our minds, open our hearts more. We need to take charge of who we are going to be as a Christian. Do you understand that? We need to go, Lord, who do you want me to be as a Christian? As a son, as a daughter, your son, your daughter, how do you want me to act in this life? How do you want me to act when I drive down the freeway? How do you want me to act when I go to the grocery store? How do you want me to act when I go to work? How do you want me to act when I go to that family member that just irritates the heck out of me? How do you want me to act in this life? And if we first ask him, wow, wouldn't it solve so many issues? I don't mean that, oh, all those things are going to be hunky-dory and you're never going to have an issue with a family member, issue at work, or anything like that. But how do you want me to respond? How do you want me to act? Who do you want me to represent? We need to start asking those questions. And we can start to understand him more. We need to start asking, does this glorify God? Or does this go against God? Not, do I like it or dislike it. There's so many times in my life that there's things that I'd like or dislike and I'm sitting and going, okay, well, this is from God. I don't like it. It's from God. Or, no, this isn't from God. And I like it. You know, kind of the opposite thing there. We need to get to a point and say, okay, if this is totally against what God's glory stands for, then I should be against it. If we ask Jesus to start revealing God's glory to us and through us, then we have something to compare our lives to. Would this glorify God? If the answer is yes, then let me jump right into it. If the answer is no, let me figure out a way that I can remove myself out of this. Sometimes it's just turn around and walk away. Sometimes you've got to do a little work and, and get out of something. But sometimes literally it means just turn around and going. on. I, th- what, what's going on here? I can't be a part of that. I can't need to do that more often in our life see it's really about god's glory isn't it it really is about god's glory i hope you know i think so and i hope you think so also now you can understand why i was stuck on the glory thing this week let's pray lord there's so many times when your glory is just right there in front of us and we even refuse to recognize it. Or we, we allow this world to cloud our vision so much and get involved in our life so much that we just totally miss it. We walk right by and you're sitting there going, Alan, my glory's right there and you just walk by. I pray, Lord, that you start working in us not only as, a, as, as a corporate worshipers of the Lord, as, as an institution, as, as a body of Christ, but also as individuals, that we don't miss your glory in this world. That we see your glory in the way you've made uh, individuals. We see your glory in the, in the, in the way that you, you, you allow us to live our lives. That we see your glory when we look up into the night sky or we look at the plants or the water. That we see your glory in the family that we look at. Lord, I pray that you help us understand what the word glory really means and how it impacts our lives so much. I pray this week that you start revealing that to each one of us that are here. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you so much that you understand his glory even more. May his face never turn from you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.